Hello and welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stressed and distressed restructuring and post-reorg in the European and CMEL markets. It's Tuesday, September the 20th. I'm Katerina Dassier. Coming up this week, I will catch up with senior reporter Beatrice Mavreoleon to talk about Inetum and Rovenza. And then we'll be listening back to a few extracts of last week's webinar covering the first use of the Part 26A restructuring plan in the SME market by House Limited. We would like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience, so please take a moment to complete the short survey at the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we're doing. Earlier today, I had a call with high-yield reporter Beatrice Mavroleon about Aitatum and Rovenza, which are expected to price this week. And this is what she said. Later this week, we expect French IT services company Inatum to price notes and a loan of between 300 million euros and 400 million euros each to support Bain's acquisition of the company. We also expect Portuguese specialty crop nutrition provider Rovensa to price a 387 million non-fungible term loan B add-on, which will fund the group's acquisition of Mexican agricultural chemical manufacturer Cosmocell. Investors highlighted Inatum's high leverage and limited free cash flow generation. Leverage is 4.4 times based on adjusted total net debt to pro forma adjusted EBITDA, but the EBITDA figure is heavily adjusted, so leverage may be much higher. They also noted the competitive nature of the company's market, as, as there seem to be many comp- competing players. And while the company has a well-recognized brand, its market share is relatively low. The company also has some, some degree of client concentration and limited geographic diversification. Investors also questioned the multiple at which Bain acquired Initum. The acquisition is thought to have cost $2.27 billion. However, the two, uh, 257 million euro uh, pro forma EBITDA to June is heavily adjusted, investors said. This means that based on an EBITDA in the range of 200 to 250 million euros, um, the acquisition multiple would be in the high single digits or low double di- digits, which, which corresponds to multiples paid for inve- investment grade companies with better scope and higher margins, one investor said. Meanwhile, the company has below market margins, they said. Um, uh, The margin was 10.7% on an adjusted basis for the 12 months to June and 9.7% for the six months ended in June. The company has said this will will improve, but investors have questioned why EBITDA margins have been low for so long. Rovensa's acquisition of Mexico's Cosmocell increases diversification away from Europe and gives the group a foothold in North America. And there are expected synergies from the deal, investors said. However, the company's free cash flow generation is limited and further debt-funded acquisitions will delay leverage reduction, investors noted. That said, the company has a strong position in its market and liquidity is good at around 40 million euros. Um, So that's, that's positive. Last week, Reorg's uh, Shang Kereshi hosted a webinar about the first use of a Part 26A restructuring plan for SME House Limited. 
He was joined by a panel of experts, all of whom were advisors on the transaction, including Kunal Kadvi of Hiring Mitchell, Marcus Haywood of Southsquare, and Andrew Dalton of BTG Advisory. Host provides a hosting and management platform for short-term holiday lets worldwide. The company became cash flow and balance sheet uh, insolvent as a result of the impact of COVID-19. The case is the first use of the restructuring tool by an SME in distress and the first occasion that a plan has included a cross-class cramdown of HMRC, the descending secondary preferential creditor. The key objective of the plan was to return a house to solvency and for each class of stakeholder to be better off than they would be in the relevant alternative. House convening a hearing took place in mid-June this year, with the plan being sanctioned on July 22nd. Here, Andrew Dalton of BTG Advisory explains the various alternatives available to the company and how they selected the proposed relevant alternative in this case. But we looked at the various relevant alternatives that well, the various alternatives that the company was was faced, and they were broadly, you know, a form of solvent rescue um, outside of any kind of um, outside of any kind of uh, write down of, of 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 debt and right sizing of debt, and <clears throat> that needed. You know, quite a sizable time to pay from HMRC, which we were very sceptical would be agreeable, um, and also a significant injection of capital from the shareholders who, who simply weren't prepared to put that level of money in given the, the cap structure that was ahead of them. So I mentioned earlier the sort of the 10 million of debt that would have sat ahead of them. Um, so they weren't prepared to take that level of economic risk. So that, that was out. Um, we considered trading administration um, so you could we could we keep this together for a period of time while we affected a sale out of out of a trading admin, and I think there we were concerned about the landlords and hosts um, and customers ultimately um, approach to that that process. And there was a lot to hold together in a trading admin. Um, of course, funding would have been an issue as well. So we we discounted that as a as an as an option. Um, CVA was obviously thought about, but the the, the issue there, and um, I think as we come on to talk about later. Um, the the CVA obviously doesn't bind the preferential creditors, um, mm. and also you know it, it, we would have had to have a consensual um, group of shareholders. Not to say they were not consensual through the process, but it would have been more challenging to get the um, to get the shareholder structure reset uh, through a CVA process as well. So obviously the last one there would have been liquidation, but you know, I think everyone accepted that would have been value destructive. So it would pretty set, and I, I don't think it was particularly controversial that we picked um, AMA as, and, and a prepack admin as the relevant alternative. Um, indeed, the bank had had a, uh, some advisors um, who had reached the same conclusion as us as well. So in terms of managing that particular stakeholder, that was quite helpful. HMRC was an important creditor in Houst. Andrew Dalton of BTG Advisory explains their position. Yeah, so... We we have obviously approached HMRC with the practice statement letter. Um, it's not appropriate, but we felt it wasn't appropriate to do so beforehand. I think HMRC stated position in relation to, um, in particular, time to pay in CVAs is you know don't don't come forward unless this is your 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 actual proposal. So they're not going to give indicative views on how to proceed. So we presented them with the PSL. Um, there were a couple of conversations where we explained sort of how things were, were, were going to, to play and certainly emails were exchanged. But we, we we reached a point, unfortunately, pretty quickly in the process that there was there was 
probably going to be a, a vote against um, the plan because they viewed the what well, they didn't like, and, and and I sort of I do follow the argument certainly and, and understand the position, but they didn't like the <clears throat> the fact that there was this five pence in the pound going to the unsecured creditors ahead of them as a preferential creditor. Um, as Marcus said, we felt there were reasons why that needed to happen, um, but you know you can understand their their position in in in, in not necessarily wanting to see that. Um, so yes, there was there was engagement and there was discussion and there were discussions, um, but it was pretty clear fairly early on that we weren't going to get there in terms of a, a supportive position, which which again is understandable, but you know drove you know, how we, we took the position forward as you'd expect. The cross-class cram-down power was used in this case to bind HMRC to the restructuring plan. Marcus Haywood of South Square explains what factors the judge considered when choosing to exercise its discretion in order to bind HMRC to the plan. I mean, the, the first point to note is that it was only HMRC who voted it against the, the, the plan at the meetings. HMRC formed its, uh, its own class. Um, and so therefore it was necessary to use the cram down procedure. As listeners will be aware, there are two sort of threshold um, conditions which need to be met to, to um, uh, uh, for the court to exercise the power to cram down. Condition A is that the, the relevant class will be no worse off on an irrelevant alternative. Uh, and that condition was relatively easily satisfied in, in this case. Um, the excellent report that, that um, Begbra's um, produced showed quite clearly that, that HMRC will be better off under the relevant alternative, and they didn't turn up and, and challenge that evidence. So that was satisfied. Condition B was that um, there must have been another class of creditor who voted in, in favour of, of the plan who were in the money and had a genuine economic interest. And that was, again, satisfied by the bank uh, uh, voting in favour uh, uh, of the uh, of the plan, the, the court then moved on to discretion, and, and I think was influenced by two particular factors. That the first was um, the evidence showed, uh, I think, quite conclusively, that, that all creditors, including HMRC, would be worse off if the court were to refuse to, to sanction um, the plan. And to my mind, that was the, the, the critical factor that led to the court um, exercising it, its discretion to um, a, a, a exercise a cross-class cram down. It, it was clear on the evidence that if the plan wasn't sanctioned, everybody was going to be worse off. And the other critical factor uh, was that HMRC didn't appear at the, at the hearing to oppose the sanction of the plan. The court, I think, um, uh, realised that there was and, and, and saw the clear distinction between a credit and voting against a, a, a restructuring plan at a plan meeting and actively opposing at, at the sanction of, of um, uh, the, the sanction hearing. Uh, and Mr Justice Zaccaroli commented that, that the HMRC was a sophisticated creditor and it was able to look after itself. So, so going forward, when one's considering uh, restructuring plans in relation to SMEs, I think it's critically important that one gets a sense of, of whether there are any major creditors that are in the money which are likely to actively turn up and oppose. Because if there are, um, that may well have an impact on, on whether you, 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 the restructuring plan is going to be viable. And if they aren't, then, then it might be thought that, that you'll have a, a relatively strong win behind you. 
A key issue for middle-market companies looking to use the UK restructuring plan is keeping financial costs down for the planned company. Andrew Dalton of BTG Advisory and Kuno Kadvi of Arvin uh, Mitchell explain what made this plan viable. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot's been talked about the pragmatism of the court and the, and the streamlining of the process. And um, Canal, we'll talk. About, I'm sure, we'll talk about the documentation side of that. And he and his team were were fundamental in kind of pulling that together. I think we also had Marcus's involvement, which was which was invaluable in terms of him being involved with previous. Um, previously sanctioned RPs, um, in particular their amicus, amicus matter that, that Begbie's also worked on. Um, so, you know, we had, we had between us, we had that experience. Marcus had the experience of getting through Canal's team in terms of the documentation. Um, I think the other point that really streamlined it was the, the fact that, as I mentioned before, there was no need for a formal detailed valuation. Um, and we're pleased that the court was ultimately successful with that, in that approach. Um, now, you know, I think we receive, it's fair to say we received some challenge reasonably early on in the process as to, you know, how, how are you going to bring this thing on in, in on a reasonable budget? And I think ultimately we came in quite a bit under the half a million of costs that, that certain, that, that some advisors to certain stakeholders were suggesting was going to be the case. So that was, that was quite pleasing. Um, and it shows it can be done on a, you know, on a, on a reasonable, a reasonable cost basis. Yeah, no. Thanks, Andrew. I think, um, well, quite in terms of the actual documentation, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, obviously I'm, I'm pleased to say that uh, Mr. Justice Accaroli appeared to be suitably impressed at sanction hearing uh, with the comprehensive documentation that we prepared. You know, we streamlined for uh, an SME business. Obviously, we spent some time looking at the large corporate restructuring plan documentation. Um, Andrew's point about valuation is, is important in terms of explaining the estimated outcome statement and restructuring surplus within the documentation. Um, the other points, I suppose, were the fact that we had a phased approach to cost. Uh, we set out costs as per the various stages of the restructuring uh, plan process. Um, and you know, pricing was certainly affordable, I think, for this, this particular SME business. Um, I must say, of course, every, every case is going to be different. And it depends on the specific set of circumstances, which is going to drive the cost up or down. Um, certainly, opposition to to the plan will inevitably lead to increased cost. Um, mm. And uh, I think the other the other point to make is that uh, I think Justice Zaccarelli was mindful that the company, you know, was in financial distress and couldn't afford the cost of certainly attending a further hearing in respect to sanction to deal with the the additional evidence he required. He was he was quite pragmatic in allowing that to be dealt with on paper following the sanction hearing um, and that certainly assisted uh, the, the business. More information on all the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available on our website, reorg.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening. Music